Father, as we open your word today, we want to say thank you. Lord, I can't imagine what we would be like without your word. If we didn't have the scriptures that we could read and understand who you are, Lord, we would be in such poverty. And so we thank you for your word, and as we open it again today, we ask that you would, Spirit of God, speak to us. You are the Spirit of truth, and we ask that you would reveal your truth to us through your word. We thank you, and we open ourselves to receive from you, for we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. This week we're back on our series, not that we've really left it, but uh, looking at spiritual eyes, the story of God's salvation that we've just sung about through the scriptures. And we've said together that the scriptures kind of boil down, to, in a sense, to this one verse that we've been looking at, trying to figure out what this really means. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not on a, in a human realm, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And when we started this series, I'm not sure many of us really understood what that meant. But as we've gone on, we, we've learned that the Bible shows us that the world is, is split, in a sense, into the spiritual realm and the physical realm. The physical realm that we see, but there's also a spiritual dimension that we don't see with our eyes that we we can't sense with our senses but it's there nonetheless and both are inhabited if you like and God when he created everything in the spiritual realm he created the Elohim the spirit God is spirit and that's how God you know God is Elohim but also the angels and the demons that we talk about are Elohim and when we die oh we have a spirit within us and so when we say goodbye, so this, this Friday, we're going to say goodbye to Josephine, right? In, in a funeral service, we're saying goodbye to the physical, but we, we're also saying, hey, your spirit is still alive and it's been released and your spirit, your Elohim, part of who you are, continues on into eternity. And there we get a, a new body, a, a, a spiritual body that doesn't decay and so on. And so funerals for us are always a sense of sadness, but a sense of joy as well, because there's the sadness that the physical has come to the end, and a joy that the spiritual, in a sense, has been released from the, the bounds of our physical body and has this eternal body that continues. And the Bible splits it into those two with us, and, and it describes in Genesis how these come together first in Eden, where God is there, Elohim is there, and they're walking with God, and there's this unity, and there's this harmony that we see. And God has given us a role to complete in Genesis 1.28 in the physical realm. He said, I want you to be basically my image here. I want you to rule, but rule not with a, with a rod, but rule with a, a, a nurturing so that you can bring the spiritual and the physical together across this globe. 
be my image, be the image of God, he says. Do join those two together in a sense so that the physical enjoys the spiritual and the, the spiritual enjoys the physical realms and they are one and they are together. That's our role. That's what we've been called to do, to go out across the globe and to bring God's presence, to bring God's rule. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, Lord, bring your spiritual rule here on earth. Because, hey, under the physical rule, we're not making a great job of it, really, in all honesty, are we? There's room for improvement. Let's just say that, right? So he's saying, let's do that. But the problem was that we went, you know what? We got a better idea. We, we like your plan, God, but you know what? I think we can improve on your plan a little bit. You know, I want to do it my way, not your way. And in the, the story of Adam and Eve, that's with the apple. We said, you know, he said, you can eat anything, but just don't do that one. And we went, ah, that's the very thing we were going to do, right? We're going to do what you told us not to do. And in the spiritual realm, in Isaiah and Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, it talks about pride entering into the, the Elohim, the angels, the spiritual beings. And some of them said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to serve you, God. I want, I want people serving me, not me serving you. And pride comes in. We always say pride comes before the fall, right? It's where it kind of comes from. That actually that pride, that, that sense of self gets in the way, and we say, you know what, I want to be top dog. And, and then we see in the Bible in Genesis 6 and in Genesis 11, the consequences of that. In Genesis 6, it says this, the sons of God, these these Elohim that decided to do their own thing. They decided, you know what, we're not going to, we're, we're going to start our own race of people that will serve us. So they started the Nephilim, it says in Genesis 6. And in Genesis 11, when God said, go across the whole world and fill it and bring my presence, we went, you know what, I kind of like Harrow. I'm going to stay in Harrow. It's, Harrow's a nice place. It's got a nice park. And, and it's got, you know, and we're going to just stay here. God, you come down to us. We don't, we don't want to go everywhere. We don't want to be nomadic across this world. No, you come to us. And they build a big tower, a ziggurat, where they say, God, you come down here. We're going to stay here, a place called Babel. And God went, no, that's not going to happen. And so after Genesis 6, what did God send? Do you remember? The flood. It's not going to happen, people. I'm going to wipe out all these people, these fallen. Nope. And after Genesis 11, what did he do? When we said, we're going to stay in Harrow. We understand one another in Harrow. We're going to just stay here. What did he do? He confused the languages. And he said, no, you're not. And so I started talking to Anne and to Fayana, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. He said, you're talking in Swahili for all I know. So we'll go and find people we do understand, and God moved us across the world. And then what God did was he, he said in Deuteronomy 32, 8, he, he set the world up, these fallen Elohim, it talks about death in the Bible. Death in the Bible is generally means a separation from God. It's spiritual. And it means that they were, just as Adam and Eve were thrown out the garden, the fallen Elohim were were cast away from God's presence and they inhabited the world so the world that we see right now in the spiritual sense if you could see in a spiritual with spiritual eyes you would see a world that is covered 
spiritually with fallen Elohim. Except for Israel. God said, I'm going to have one place on this world where, and that will be Israel. I'll build a nation and they will be an example to the rest. Right? They will be there so that everybody can look at them and go, hey, look. And, and in uh, Deuteronomy 28, 29, it talks about the blessings and the cursings. And it talks about how, how God says, if you follow me, if you be my image, basically, I will pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And that's what I want. So that the whole world, people in Harrow like us, can look at Israel and go, wow, why is God blessing them? Why do they not suffer like we? Why do they not get 45 degree heat? Why do they never have a hosepipe ban? Right? Why, why is God sending them rain when they need rain, when they need sunshine, they have sunshine, their crops and everything else. You know, their tomato plants are going out of control. Their apple trees are yielding amazing abundance. That um, God will protect them from any other nation. God will do all these things. God said, you do that. You follow what I'm asking you to do, and that, that will be the result. But hey, did they do it? No. Why? Because pride got in the way and said, we're going to do it the way we want to do it. Not the way you want, God. And so God sent them into exile and so on and tried to bring them back and, and in a sense, discipline them so they would learn, but they never learned really. But, you know, God's plan about this image of him across the globe has never changed. It's always stayed the same, but there was a problem. And the problem was that for God to fulfill his plan, for the plan of the history of humanity, the history of this planet to work, God needed someone that was obedient. He needed someone that would actually do what God asked him to do without messing it up. Because as soon as we mess up, what happens? Well, God is holy, holy, holy. God is pure. God is, and if we mess up, we get separated from God, right? We're like Adam and Eve. We get thrown out the garden. And then, then we can't do what God is asking us to do. So God needed someone, and he looked across the whole globe, and he went, hey, is there anybody down there that can do what I'm asking them to do? And there wasn't a single person. And not only that, God needed to rescue the rest of us who were now separated from him because of what we call sin, our, our disobedience to God. And so he said, I'm going to have to send myself, my son Jesus, to come. Because it's the only way that I can bridge that gap. Now, Jesus had to come. Do you remember how we did this before? Should we do it again? You don't need to do it again. You remember it, right? So God is here. This is God, right? Doesn't look much like God, but this is God over here, right? We, we mess up, so we get separated from God. So God has to send someone to come and bring us back, right? Now, how does God get from there to here? This is the problem, right? Because the only way from there to here is to be separated. And the only way to get separated from God is through disobedience, sin. But then how can God, if we get separated through sin, we can't come back? So what does God have to do? 
Well, God has to somehow become separated, but do it in a way where he still has access to go back. So do it in a way where he effectively doesn't sin, right? So he sent his son, as we looked at and as we know. And what does his son come and do? Well, his son came and died for us. And he did it by firstly getting the physical realm, us, to get him on a cross and kill him. And he did that by provoking the leadership. You want to irritate, you want to get yourself killed, go provoke the leadership. Easiest way to do it, right? You know when you're in school, you know when you want to get a detention, not that you ever do. How do you do that? You irritate teachers. Same thing, right? You irritate a teacher, you get the detention. If you're all great and beautiful and angelic in class, you never get a detention, do you? Hands up whoever had a detention in school. You're in church, so be honest. Right, you know what I'm talking about. I noticed that Liz, who was a prefect in school, never had a detention there, did you, Liz? Just saying, just saying. But that's what you do, right? Same thing. So Jesus did that. He irritated them. He irritated them by showing them their failings. It wasn't hard. And by having a big crowd of followers, which they didn't like because they were following Jesus and not following him or not following them. But he also needed the spiritual realm to put him on the cross as well. And that was more difficult because the spiritual realm knew who Jesus was. We didn't really know. Who is this guy? The Bible keeps saying it, right? Who is this fella? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We don't know who he is. Gradually, the disciples started to get it, sort of. But the Elohim, the spiritual realm, knew who Jesus was because they'd seen him in heaven, right? They knew he is. But they didn't know the plan. Because if they'd known the plan, they would never allowed him to go to the cross. So Jesus gradually, and we see it through the Gospels and we looked at this, he gradually increases the prodding in the spiritual realm. First through the temptations, he overcomes them. Then he sends out the disciples and he says, I see Satan falling from heaven, right? The disciples start to do what God wanted them to do. They start to be the image he said, hey, the kingdom of God is coming near here. And then that direct confrontation on Mount Hermon, where he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And then he goes up on top and the transfiguration, right? We've done all of this. I'm just reminding you, because it's been a long summer. And then he finally, when he's on the cross, he says, it's finished. It's done. In other words, what's been done is I've taken the journey from here over to the people here. Right? No worries about him coming back. He knew he had the strength to do that. But getting here, that was difficult because he had to be perfect. And so he took our sin, your, your messes and my messes in life on himself, which then separated him from God and brought him to us. So he could then say, David... Come with me, mate. You're coming back. And we come back over here, right? That's why on the cross he said it's finished, not at the resurrection. What he meant was it's finished because I'm here. Resurrection is a done deal because he's God. And then when he'd finished, 
He ascended. Job done, right? He went back up into heaven. And he said, wait, because I'll send some help. And that was the Holy Spirit that comes and helps us. And we looked at the great reversal of Babel, all the tongues, the separation, and then the unity that there is in the body of Christ. But I want to ask you today's question. So where then is the presence of God right now? Like in the Old Testament, the presence of God was wherever God was, right? God showed up in the burning bush, and he said, Moses, take your sandals off, take your shoes off, mate. It's holy ground here, right? I'm here. I'm in your midst. You're talking to him. God showed up in Eden, obviously, before that. God showed up loads of times in the Old Testament. Then he showed up when they built a tabernacle in the wilderness, and people couldn't go close to the tabernacle. There was like an exclusion zone around it. And no, it was like it was mined. And they said, if you go closer than that, you're just going to die. Because that's where God is. And he was there in the fire and the pillar of fire and in the smoke and everything else. But where is God's presence now? Well, in Jeremiah 31, 31, what's that? Do you know what this is? What's Jeremiah 31? new covenant right remember the old covenants the adamic and the mosaic and the noahic mosaic abrahamic davidic covenants in the old testament and then in jeremiah's time there's a new covenant he says the days are coming declares the lord when i will make a new covenant see tim read it a new covenant with the people of israel and with the people of judah He's making a new covenant. It will not be like the covenants I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So in the old covenant, God said, I, I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm going to be right in the midst of you in the tabernacle, right, between the angels' wings in the ark of the covenant and so on. That's where I'm going to be. I'm there. And I'm going to lead you by the hand through the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. So the pillar of smoke just kind of carried on moving during the day. And at nighttime, it turned into a pillar of fire. And, it, and, and that was God's presence. And they stopped when it stopped. And they moved when it moved. Right? And that's how they knew that God was with them. And he said, it's like I took you by the hand and I led you. But it's not going to be like that. He said, this covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, where? In their minds. And I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So where is the presence of God in the new covenant? Where? Where is the presence? Within. Now, it has to be forgiveness. Because you cannot be 
have the Holy Spirit within you without forgiveness, right? You cannot be holy, a temple, without that forgiveness, yeah? So he says, I'm going to have to forgive you so that you can be a depository, if you like, of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Where is God right now? He's within. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let me go back. Your bodies, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You are the presence of God here on earth. You know that? few nods. Some looking bewildered. I'm just telling you what's in the Word. It's not me that's saying this. This is what God has said. You are the presence of God, the temple of God. It's within you. So what does that really mean? Well, first it says, doesn't it, honor God. What does that mean? Look around this church for a moment. Just look around. What does this building, how, how do you know it's, it's a temple, it's a church? How do you know? How do you know it's not a sports hall or a pub or my living room? There's a cross. And what is the cross there for? Remind us that Jesus died and rose again. That's why we have an empty cross. There's, in fact, two crosses, one above the other. Should really be three, but anyway. There's two. What else? What else is different about this place than your living room? It's a lot higher, the roof, than your living room, so the heating costs are astronomical compared to home. Yeah, okay. What else? Sorry? There's benches at the front. Do you not have a prayer rail in your living room at home? No. Oh, dear, I do. Okay, so there's communion rails. So we remember. What else? There's the communion table. This is not like your average dining room table, is it? It would be really pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, pretty naff, really, as a dining room table. You wouldn't get your legs under it except from the back one side. The other sides, you'd just be banging your knees the whole time, right? Because it's not designed as an eating table, is it? Not in that sense. What else? The presence of the Holy Spirit in us, but that's similar at home. There's an organ. Do you not have an organ in your living room? You have a grand piano. There's no room for the organ. There's an organ. We don't normally have those at home. I mean, there's, there's ways in which you can tell as soon as you walk in here that this is a temple or a church, right? You, you know. Because you see it around you. 
the way it's set up, the way it functions, the way it looks, it looks like a church. We have local schools come in here because they want to see an example of a church. And so they come in here. And then they go around and they, they look and they see, oh yeah, well, and why do you have this and why do we do that? You know, we, we have chairs, some of them, with holes in them. You know, you wouldn't buy that for your living room, would you? You go, what's, what's this with a hole in the back of it? But it's there for purpose, right? Now, the Bible says that you and me are what? God's temple. So let me ask you, what do we do, how do we look in our character that others can see as soon as they meet us that, hey, you are a depository of God? That's a hard question. But that surely is what it means to honor God, right? If we are temples of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the power of God within us, then what we do, how we behave, must reflect who lives within us. Yeah? We're not going to read it, but in Colossians chapter 3, you might want to look at it later. Colossians 3, Paul does just that. He says, take off these things like a coat. Remove these things because these things are not honoring of God. And put on these other things that are honoring of God. I'd invite you later today, go, go home and read Colossians chapter 3. It's not very long. But read it through. And there you will see... And you can look at the, the different things and go, is, is that me, is that me, is that me, is that me, or is this me, is this me, is this me? Which, which do I fall into? And maybe a bit of both. But have a look at it. But we need to honor God. You are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, God's holy temple. Why don't you point to someone? It's rude to point, but do it anyway. Say, you're God's temple. Do it. Didn't sound like you want to do that much. You didn't sound convinced. Say, I am God's temple. Right? Do you believe that? We are God's temple. Not because I'm saying so, but because the Bible says so. The presence of God is within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says so. It says so in the Old Testament that, we, that the people of Israel were being created as God's holy nation. 1 Peter, he says that you are God's holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's temple. That's who we are. You are the presence of God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the presence of God here today. And so our lifestyle surely matters then, right? What we do and what we don't do matters. What we use this building for matters, doesn't it? 
We don't just let the church out to anybody. Because it's, it's holy. Holy means what? Separate, different, set apart. And this is set apart so we, we don't just do what we want to do. We don't use the communion table just for a picnic. We, d- we don't use the, the communion cup for our coffee. It's holy. It's, it's got a distinct purpose and, and you are holy and I am holy. We've been set apart by God. We've been bought through his death and resurrection. Honor God. Secondly, because we are holy, wherever we go becomes holy ground. Think about it for a minute. You have the Holy Spirit living within you if you're a believer, right? You're like the burning bush walking around Harrow. Wherever you go, the ground becomes holy. Not because of you, but because of who lives in you. You get it? When I go to Starbucks, Starbucks becomes holy because my presence is there. When I go Costas, Costas become holy. When I go Brew, Brew becomes holy. Not that I go to lots of coffee shops, I just know them. Not yet. When I go to the Cakes, when I go Wenzel's, and I walk in there and I linger, the longer I linger, the more I succumb to temptation, but the ground becomes holy, right? When you go to the bank, it becomes holy. When you go work, your workplace becomes holy. Why? Because you're taking the presence of God into that place within you. You don't leave it at home, do you? Thanks, Holy Spirit. I'll leave you here. It's not like the cat or the dog that you can leave at home and then you march off to work and then... Holy Spirit will be there when I get home and I'll open the door and I walk in and boom, the Holy Spirit comes back in me. It doesn't work like that. If you're a believer, if you've been baptized, you go down in the water, you come up as a new being, the Holy Spirit comes into you, right? You, wherever you go, you take the presence of God with you. Do you get it? Do you believe it? Wherever Israel went, God's presence went with them. Wherever David went in the Bible, God's presence went with him. Wherever Moses went, God's presence went. Wherever Abraham went. Do you remember Elisha and all those Aramean around him? And he said, God opened my servant's eyes, and the eyes were open, and he saw the spiritual realm, and all the armies of God. Why? Because the presence of God was with him. Wherever Paul went, the presence of God went with him. Wherever Peter went, the presence of God went with him. Wherever we go, the presence of God goes with you. We, and wherever the presence of God is, there is holy ground. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. That you take that presence with you. We are a royal priest to the holy nation, 
a people belonging to God. And lastly, you're being watched. You're being watched in the spiritual realm all the time from both sides. You know the war that's going on now in Ukraine with Russia and so on? They're watching one another all the time, aren't they? They're watching to see where they are, where the movement is, where, where the front line is, where they're deploying troops, where they're going to attack next, where they're going to defend next. They're watching each other the whole time. Why? Because they're engaged in a battle. And information is power, is, is the way that you know where to put your troops, you know where to defend, you know where you want to attack, you know where the weaknesses are and where the strengths are, so you watch. We're involved in a spiritual battle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and powers. They're watching you. They're watching you and they're going, David, I wonder where are you going today? Where are you going to go? Where's the presence of God going to go through you today? Where are you going to make holy ground? Where is God going to flow through you today and bring impact? Because that's where we'll need reinforcements from the dark side, if you like. Sounded like Star Wars there for a minute. Sorry about that. But from the forces of darkness, that's where we'll need to put reinforcements because, hey, we've got to watch this guy. Where at? Where's Anne going today? Like, we need to watch her as well. And what about the Christians in China and the Christians in India and the Christians all over the world? We've got to watch them all. It's a nightmare for them. Don't just watch Israel. Don't just watch Jesus. They have to watch us all. Because if we're flowing with the Holy Spirit, if we are in our minds and in our hearts recognizing that where we go makes a difference, that we have the potential to allow the Spirit of God to flow through us and impact other people, then those forces, the dark forces in our world, they're, they're, they're panicking. They're panicking, one, because they don't know where you're going to go, and secondly, because the power that is in you is way, way stronger than the power that they possess. He that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. So they can't stop it. They can try and bring some darkness, but you know that if you light a candle in the middle of a room, what happens? The room is flooded with light. The darkness can't overcome the light. And it's the same way where we go. Where we go, we make that place holy because the presence of God within us makes it holy, not because we're holy. We're just vessels. But when that holiness comes, then we start to engage in the battle that is going on. You know what the enemy tries to do? The enemy can't stop you when the spirit is flowing. So the enemy tries to make you not realize what's going on. They try and put a veil in front of you so go, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference when you go about your daily business. Let, let's not let, let let's, let's, let's cover David's eyes so that he won't even recognize the Spirit of God within him. 
let alone release it out into the, you know, be a channel of God's Spirit out into the world. Let's, let's just make him useless. That's all that the enemy can do is make you powerless because you don't understand what's going on. What we need to do as a church in the future, what God has told us to do is to beautify the city through praying for people. When we go and pray on the doorsteps, when you go pray in Costa's or in Starbucks or Brewer, wherever you go pray, when you go pray at work, when you go pray in the gym, when you pray wherever you happen to be, you release the Spirit of God. That's what He wants us to do. Just release Him. Release Him through word. Release Him through prayer. Release the Spirit of God because then that ground, that holy ground grows. God desires that harrow becomes holy ground. That we start pushing back the boundaries of darkness, if you want to put it, spiritual darkness, and they become light. That is what we're called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. We come here to learn how to do it. We come here to worship and to, to understand. But the mission is not here. The mission is there. The mission is when you go and you leave this place and you go somewhere else. When you go out for lunch, when you go for coffee, when you go home, where you, wherever you go, where whoever you meet, that is where the mission begins. That is what God has called us to do. Because the Spirit of God rests in you. But we're watched. And how can you tell if you're doing it? Let me ask you a question. If I was to ask you to turn to the person next to you, and if I was to ask you to tell them the last time you felt God working through you into someone else, when the last time that you felt the Spirit of God using you to bring blessing, when would that be? I'm not going to ask you to do it, but just think about it. You remember last week, was it last week when I was on the board? I said in the middle of the river is where trials become testimonies. That's what I'm talking about. It's about when's the last testimony you have? Remember I was talking to someone a while ago and they were telling me testimony after testimony of how God had used them in their life. And I said, that's great. But every testimony was like five, ten years ago. I said, what about now? If all we're doing is living off of yesterday, what, what good's that? We're not back in, we're not still in the middle. We're not still flowing. John's 15, he said, vine and the branches. He says, I cut off every branch that's not bearing any fruit, but I prune and nurture all the rest. He said, if, if you don't have a testimony then we need to just question ourselves and say, Lord, well, what's going on within me? 
Because if the Holy Spirit is within me, if I, wherever I go, it becomes holy ground because of the Spirit within me. If I'm releasing that Spirit out, I'll have testimonies. They might not be I transform the whole of the United Kingdom testimonies, but there'll be testimonies of, hey, I saw God blessing this person. God led me to this person and I was able to help them. God did this. God did this. Let me tell you, I was talking to somebody this week about this. And they, they went home. And the very next day, they, they said they still had this ringing around in their heads. And they sent me a big, long text message. He said the very next day, they were driving their car on the way to somewhere or the other, and they, they saw somebody broken down by the side of the street, and something went in and caused them to stop. So they pulled over and they stopped, and they found this woman that was, car had run out of petrol. He didn't have a can, she didn't have a can to fill it up, so she said, I'll take you to the garage, we'll get something. So they went to the garage, there was no, no one, they didn't have a can there to fill it up, so they... You know, he, he then found someone else that was there that had a can in the back. So they said, you know, we're not far away. Do you mind if we fill up and just go, you wait here and we'll bring the can back. So he did that. And right when he got to where he needed to get to, it was shut because he'd spent so much time with this individual. And he said to me, and then a, a few other things that happened in the day. <laughs> but this guy said to me, he said, you know what? Before that, I would have been so stressed because I have my day like this. And I needed to get to this place and this place and this place and it was in my head to do this. But you know what? I realized that actually God enabled me to bless someone like this and help someone out like this. And actually that was more of a blessing than getting the jobs done that I thought I wanted to do. That's, when's the last time we had testimonies like that? Because that is when we start to let the Spirit take over. And we get off of our agendas and onto God's agenda. And allow God to bring holy ground into His kingdom. This week I came across a little story. Let me close with this. There was a wise woman who was traveling in the mountains and they found a precious stone in a stream. And so they picked the stone up and they put it in their bag, grateful they'd found it. The next day, this woman met another traveler who was hungry. And the woman opened her bag to share some of the food that she had in her bag with this hungry, hungry traveler, and the hungry traveler saw the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. So without hesitation, she picked in and she picked out this precious stone and she gave it to this hungry traveler and said, it's yours. And the traveler left rejoicing at their good fortune because they knew that the stone was worth enough to give them security for many, many months to come. few days went by and then this hungry traveler met this woman again found her met her 
went up to her and gave her the stone back and said, I want you to take it back. I don't want it. She said, why? He said, I've been thinking. I know how valuable this stone is. I know what it means or could mean to me. But I want to give it back to you in the hopes that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me the stone in the first place. Do you know what you have within you? Do you? Do you know that you have the very presence of God as a believer within you? And God gives us the opportunity under the direction of the Spirit to give that like a precious stone wherever you go this week. Father, I don't really know why you would risk your presence in us, but you do. We are holy temples, holy set apart because you live within us. Your spirit lives within us. That's why worship services are so amazing because lots of little temples come together. <laughs> Your presence comes together and, and somehow is amplified and it's beautiful. But Lord, this week I pray that wherever you send us, whatever we do this week, we would start to recognize that it's not us. We have an opportunity to release you like that precious stone into people's lives. And when we do that, some may well ask, what is it within you? And we can tell them about you. That's why Jesus, you said, as you're going about your business, make disciples. Teach us how to release you and what it means for us to be a temple. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. And let's just continue in prayer. Lord, as we pray.